This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 46. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This episode, we are going to talk about Superman number 15 from January 18th, 2017, and Supergirl issues 5 and 6 from January 11th and February 8th, respectively, from 2017. And I'll explain why I'm covering both of those Supergirl episodes when we get to, uh, or at least toward the end of the show. But first, as always, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, as I'm recording this, the Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Special came out a couple weeks ago. And I'm not going to cover that here on the show. Um, Krypton Report covered it. And uh, digging for kryptonite. Excuse me. Yeah. Dig, sorry. Sorry, Anthony. Digging for kryptonite covered it, uh, among many others. I'm sure. Um, I'm not going to be covering that special. I am going to be talking about the actual uh, original Death of Superman run on the Patreon beginning later this week. So, if you are a fan of that and you're not already a Patreon subscriber and you like to get that exclusive content. Uh, you may want to go check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. Um, but one thing I am going to talk about in relation to this is how we deal with death. Um, and I realize that jumping into that straight after a, a Patreon plug is a little crass, and I apologize. Um, but it, it's been on my mind a lot lately, not in a morbid sense, but just how thinking about how we process death um, is, is something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Um, and it kind of came to a, a head yesterday. Um, and how I process death honestly concerns me sometimes. Um, I haven't had to deal with people close to me passing away very often. Um, my paternal grandfather died when I was very young, before I had any real memories of him. Um, and then my paternal grandmother died in very early in 2001. Um, my maternal grandmother died in 2014, and my best friend died uh, very shortly around that time as well. And I've never been the kind of person that just breaks down when someone I know passes away. And that's honestly what kind of concerns me. Um, when my maternal grandmother and my best friend died, um, I wasn't, you know, I was sad, obviously, but I didn't have, like, this intense grieving 
Um, but what happened is like slowly the the feelings that I was experiencing with that kind of leaked out and uh, there was a lot of lashing out on my part specifically at work uh, which got me in a little bit of trouble um, got me got me talking to in the captain's office a couple times um, but you know I, th there's a part of me that wishes that I kind of handled death more directly that and it's not that I intentionally bottle things up it's just that um, you know as as you know my my friend and I were obviously good friends he was my best friend but um, he wasn't like a, a family member he wasn't someone I'd known for years and years and years I'd known him for about three or four years and we got along really well we hung out all the time um, when my maternal grandmother died she had been going downhill for a long time and I'd kind of said goodbye to her about a month before she passed away. She was like really far into dementia by that point. Um, so I, I kind of feel like maybe that's a little justified that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't in my grandmother's case, it wasn't a sudden shock. And in my friend's case, it wasn't, you know, like we had known each other for an extremely long time and had all these great buildup of memories. Um, but I do worry about how I will handle death in the future. Um, like I've mentioned before, my my maternal grandfather, the one that I talk about here on the show a lot, who got me in the comics and got me toys and action, you know, superhero action figures and stuff like that as a kid, he is still alive. He is 95 years old. He lives by himself a state away from me. And I call him once a week at least um, and whenever he doesn't pick up, I immediately start to worry, you know, it's like, did something happen? Did he, you know, did he pass away in his home and nobody knows about it? Did he fall and hurt himself and can't get the phone? I don't know. Um, my dad, who I had a very bad relationship with for about 30 years and have just started getting along with over the past maybe year, year and a half, um, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer a few months ago, and it's re a relatively minor case of it. But when it was he was first diagnosed, he would not tell me anything about it other than he had the cancer, which, knowing him, means that he was worried that it was a lot worse than it turned out to be. And that did unsettle me for for you know a few days. I was like, man, it's, this is bad. It's, this could be stage four. This could be metastatic. Um, and that really upset me. And, you know, I obviously don't even want to think about what would happen to my wife or my daughter. And, you know, I would obviously handle that very, very poorly. Um, but what got me thinking about this recently is, like I've mentioned, my daughter is in a homeschool group. And they meet up usually about once a week. And they hang out and they have you know, activities and crafts and stuff. And then sometimes this lady who supervises it, she will give them, you know, like it just interesting kind of Ted talk, almost lessons or, you know, Ted eds. And, um, they were meeting yesterday as I was recording this. And, uh, one of the kids, probably the, the oldest kid in the group, he said, you know, I've got this moral dilemma and he's, usually very snarky he's a he's a teenager I think he's 13 or 14 he's usually very snarky he's got a big chip on his shoulder so I was expecting this big 
you know, thing about, you know, uh, I thought he was going to say something smart alecky, but he didn't. He started to cry. And he was talking about how this uh, friend of his family, who was an older gentleman who passed away of cancer on Thanksgiving Day, how he had to go help, or he'd been asked to come help take this, you know, the, the gentleman who'd passed away, his belongings out of his wife's house. And he didn't know if he was, if he could handle it or not. And I uh, don't know this kid super well. Um, I've only been part of the group for a little while. And you know, I was going to go, you know, kind of give him a hand on the shoulder and say, well, in my experience, helping other people who are having a hard time makes dealing with your own hard time a little easier. But before I could get to that, the moms in the group all gave him a hug. And, you know, they told him, it's like, well, if you don't feel like you're up to it, then you do what you have to do. You know, if you have to bow out, no one's going to feel less of you. I felt like me saying my part after that would be contradictory. And then that would give him, you know, like, well, now I I still don't know which way to go because one piece of advice contradicts another piece of advice. So I just kept my thoughts to myself. And my wife later told me, he's like, yeah, you probably ought not have said that. I don't think a 13 or 14 year old can kind of handle that kind of same thing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's probably the advice I would have wanted when I was that age if I've been going through something, but who knows. But it just goes to show that we all process grief in a different way. You know, some people break down crying. Some people are more stoic about it. Some people deal with it better by handling things head on or burying themselves in trying to help others and some people just need to check out for a while so um, you know I'm I don't really have a point to this talk these are just some things that are on my mind that I wanted to talk about and I'm not in any place to give anybody advice on how to deal with the grief but like I said it's just I think important to keep it in mind that we all deal with traumatic things in our life in different ways and we should be respectful of how other people choose to or need to deal with those things and so that's all the thoughts I have about that so I'm going to go take a really short break and then I'll come right back and we'll talk about some comic books And we're back, and again, we're going to be starting out this episode with Superman number 15 from January 18th, 2017. And this issue is co-written by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. The artists are Ryan Sook, Ed Bennis, Clayman, and Jorge Jimenez, which tells me this uh, issue was maybe a little behind on getting put out. Um, Sook, Danae Ribiera, uh, Ribeiro, excuse me, Ulysses Ariola, and Alejandro Sanchez are the colorists. Uh, Ryan Sook did the cover, and Andrew Robinson did the variant cover with Rod Lee doing the letters. And the main cover is of Superman holding the uh, devolved form of. Captain Carrot, who is basically just a bunny wearing a mask and a cape. Um, And he's standing on this barren plain, 
and there's some kind of force or energy or wind or something pushing at him from off panel because his hair is being pushed back and his cape is flowing back and we can actually see where he's digging his digging in his stance but there's you know tracks like where he's being you know slid across the barren plain and then uh wrapped around his is one of his legs is Mary Marvel's cape at his feet is the broken goggles of the red racer um also the the helmet of the atomic knight batman uh a a shattered green lantern battery aqua woman's trident and what i assume is calvin ellis's cape and it's a good cover i like it superman's face looks a little off um in a way that i can't really quantify but it's still really good i still really like it the variant cover is probably the best thing i've seen so far from robinson because i've mentioned before that his facial proportions are a little off this leans into it in the best way this is a uh, cover of super demon from i forget which earth he's from but they'll get to it in the issue and he's smiling uh, maliciously and there's flames coming out of his mouth and he's surrounded by fire and the buildings behind him are on fire and it looks really really cool i still if given a choice on the stands would have gone with the cover that actually has superman on it but this cover is still really really cool so last issue that we covered of this title um superman learned that some beings known as the i want to say the collectors but i know that's not right uh let's see well there's <laughs> hang on uh let's see i know it's in here somewhere gatherers and these things called gatherers and they look like the creatures that thanos employs during uh as his foot soldiers in uh avengers infinity war and they've been gathering up supermen from across the multiverse for reasons unknown and clark learns this when the red sun superman of soviet russia crashes into his reality with the gatherers close behind uh clark and the red sun fought them off and were soon approached by the justice league incarnate which is made up of multiversal versions of different justice league members including calvin ellis president superman and um they all they know is that a being called prophecy is sending out the gatherers to uh collect the superman supermen for reasons unknown and before they can stop them before the justice league incarnate and and clark can stop them the gatherers gather up our new superman of china con cannon and at the end of that episode or end of that issue we saw the the mysterious prophecy who was not yet seen devolve captain carrot into a regular old bunny and in my opinion you just don't mess with the best bun now this issue opens in a way that i really hate <laughs> i i hate this concept so much so this is earth 14 home to the justice league of assassins and this is a group of justice leaguers 
who all look like they are cosplaying either Warhammer characters or Gears of War characters. And they fight in an apocalyptic wasteland and they all got guns and they all wear black and they all wear skulls and it's I hate everything about it. The only thing I kind of like about it is that Harley, who is a member of this Justice League, half of her face is painted in like Mexican Day of the Dead sugar skull makeup. And that looks pretty neat. I've always been a sucker for that particular kind of makeup in design. Other than that, <laughs> I really dislike this. I I hope this is the first time this is this reality has been shown um I hope it's never shown again because I really really dislike it um and the only way that you really know who's who um is by the dialogue um like the Superman of that era honest of this reality honestly in this armor that he wears honestly kind of looks like a Brainiac drone like the superpowers line Brainiac that were later revealed to be drones of the main Brainiac. Um, Wonder Woman has her hair in, like, bleach blonde dreadlocks, and she's wearing one of those things, like, bikers wear over the lower half of their face that looks like a skull. And Aquaman, he's got, a, a like, a 90s cyborg right eye and a mohawk. And the only way you know he's Aquaman is because the jaw of some sea creature is around his neck, and other people call him Aquaman. In Flash, wears generic armor with wings on the helmet. The only way you know he's Flash is because someone calls him Flash. And there's a guy in the background. He was kind of an older, overweight guy. He honestly looks like Men at Arms from Masters of the Universe after he's retired. And he's got a cannon on his shoulder, then shoots green energy. And I assume, so therefore, I assume that's supposed to be Green Lantern. Um, and they are fighting off the gatherers who are coming after that reality Superman and they fight off all the gathers and they're like we're almost out of ammo dig in dig in and it's I just hate it so much but they defeat all the gathers and like yeah we won but then this beam of energy comes in from off panel and literally like slices off this reality's Batman's head and from off panel a voice says such an efficient fighting unit. You managed to kill all my gatherers while still protecting your leader. I must say, that was a valiant last stand of the Justice League of Assassins. And they all go, and Superman shouts, No! As the same energy bolts come in and chop the Justice League Assassins in half. Uh, like, And it's it's honestly pretty gruesome. Like Everybody gets chopped in the middle of... Like, Harley gets chopped in the middle of the waist, and Green Lantern gets his head chopped off, and, like, one bolt takes Aquaman through the middle of the head. It's like it chops off the top of his head, which is gross. It chops off Flash's legs, which is, you know, uh, which is ironic, I guess. And something happens to Wonder Woman. And then... Uh, this Superman gets so mad that he like powers out of his armor and underneath he's all gnarly and burned and he kind of looks like Spawn and and the voice from off panel saying your teammates all rallied on all relied on specifically crafted weapons while you on the other hand possess innate powers I am very much in need of and uh, as this Superman is like shouting to the heavens no he is gathered by 
prophecy himself who we do not yet see. I hate that reality. <laughs> I'm not glad they're dead, but I hope we never see that reality again. I just, I don't like it at all. <laughs> You're probably not supposed to. I'm probably thinking too hard about this. <laughs> um, but it's just kind of like everything I hate about video games and dark comics and stuff like that. But anyway, from there we go to the Orrery of Worlds in the House of Heroes, which is the headquarters of the Justice League Incarnate, and we have them all gathered there, along with our Superman. And I mentioned last time that there was a Batman in this group, and they don't identify which Earth he's from. I did the research. I think he's from Earth 17, which is kind of supposed to be like an analogy of the pre-crisis Atomic Knights. And so he's like the Atomic Dark Knight or something like that. And he wears this really interesting looking blue and red armor. Um, and it's got a visor instead of like eye holes. And it has these two like jetpack wings that come out of the back. He honestly reminds me of a Micronaut. If you're old enough to know what I'm talking about, there was a Micronaut figure. It was like three, three and a quarter inches tall, like the size of a Star Wars figure. And he had this backpack and you'd put it on and it had these two wings that would flip down and you press a button and the wings would pop up. And that's what it reminds me of. Uh, Space Glider, I think his name was. I don't know. And then we have Red Racer, who is a uh, version of the Flash. We have a Green Lantern, who is a red-skinned, horned, either alien or demon. I don't know who he's from. We have Aqua Woman, the gender-swapped gender version of Aquaman. We have Mary Marvel from, I think, Earth 5? Yeah. Yeah, Earth-5, because I think it was Earth-S pre-crisis for Shazam, and so they made it a 5, because you know, 5 and S look alike. And then we have Machine Head, who is an analog of the Ultimate Marvel Ultimate Universe Iron Man, and we have the Thunderer, and I forget which reality he's supposed to be from, but he is like a, a Maori, or Maori, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, analog to Thor and he has an enchanted um, bone spear instead of a uh, instead of a hammer and he's supposed to be like the you know, like thunder god of New Zealand I think he's pretty neat and so Clark is on the uh, House of Heroes which looks like the Monitor satellite from Crisis on Infinite Earths and um, he's saying some wonderful comic book nonsense that I will read to you. He's saying, so let me get this straight. We're standing in a cosmic police precinct that exists in a place you call Bleed Space that connects to other dimensions. And right now, all of you are the interdimensional cops who keep law and order between all Earths, which is a very... That's how you know it's a Morrison concept, because it's, it's wonderful gibberish. And uh, Aquawoman and Mary Marvel correct him and say no... We don't keep peace on the Earth. We don't keep peace between the Earth. We deal with the cosmic level crises that threaten multiple Earths at a time. Which is a really cool concept. Really good idea. But it's not one that ever gets used uh, in reality. Like in actual continuity. I know they first appeared... Um, well, I mean, Calvin Ellis first appeared during Final Crisis, 
the um, the ultimate Thule, which we'll talk about in a little bit, first appears during Final Crisis. The rest of them first appear during Multiversity, which I have yet to finish reading because it, it starts to hurt my brain after a while. But we've had crises since then. Um, no, actually we haven't, now that I think about it. No, I'm wrong. As of this publication, there hasn't been another crisis-level event, which will be Dark Knight's Metal, which will be coming up um, later in 2017. But um, we sadly do not see them <laughs> during any crises. There's been three crisis events since this came out. Metal, Dark Metal, and now Dark Crisis. Um, some of which I like better than others. And I don't... I know Justice League Incarnate has their own limited series and I think ongoing series that leads up to Dark Crisis, but I don't... Well, maybe that's... Maybe they all die. I don't know. I haven't read it yet, so I'll find out eventually. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, but... Uh, you know, they, they say that, you know, we don't need to interfere on each individual Earth's problems. They have their own, each Earth has its own Justice League, so forth and so on. And so, um, they have, uh, the Justice League Incarnate has been having its supercomputer, who is Harbinger, figure out what, trying to figure out what's going on, what Earths these supermen are being taken from, who might be their next target? And um, yeah, it's a it's a holographic AI that looks like the head of Harbinger from Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I think this is a much better use for Harbinger than how she was used um, on New Earth, the Earth between Crisis on Infinite Earths and Infinite Crisis, where first she was forced to join the New Guardians, which was a terrible book. Um, that tried to handle some uncomfortable issues of the late 80s and did them in such a ham-fisted way that it became cringeworthy. And then she was later killed uh, in Superman, Batman, as written by uh, Jeff Loeb and, Michael, and drawn by Michael Turner. Um, so, yeah, I, if you have... If you're going to use Harbinger... I'd much rather have her as a sentient AI than have those terrible things happen to her. But uh, but Harbinger is yet to able to figure out, to predict who is going to be attacked next. Um, she shows the, the dead members of the Justice League of Assassins, and I don't know who's drawing what at this point, but whoever is drawing this sequence makes the Justice League of Assassins look cooler than the artist in the opening sequence um i of these various artists the only one whose work i can spot by sight is jorge jimenez and we haven't gotten his stuff yet and the superman says look i know you're trying to predict where prophecy is going to strike next how about instead of that how about we just round up all the other supermen and get them in one place so that we can all protect each other and like oh okay good idea so they go first in the Ultima Thule, who is their spaceship made of, well, it looks like Yellow Submarine from the Beatles animated movie. And like I said, it, was for, it first appeared in Final Crisis, specifically Final Crisis Superman Beyond, which you may hear me talk about pretty soon. 
Um, we'll get into more exactly what the Ultima Thule is in just a bit. But first they go to Earth-13, where dark magic is the primary force of that universe. And we see Superman fighting Super Demon and Aqua Woman fighting um, Fate. Not Dr. Fate, but 90s Fate. Jared something. The guy that wore, that melted down Dr. Fate's helmet and made it into uh, like a knife and some throwing stars. Um, and I think died in the first issue of Jeff Johns JSA. No, I'm okay. I got to do a tangent about Jeff Johns. For the m- most part, I like Jeff Johns writing. Um, I don't think he needs to be the kind of creative director of DC ever again because that's what made the New 52 happen and as much as I appreciate the New 52 now I do think it was kind of unnecessary to make it the primary continuity for five years. I think it would have been better off being its own side thing kind of like Marvel's Ultimate Universe but I like you know, I like Infinite Crisis. I like Crisis of Three Worlds, or not, uh, Legion of Three Worlds, excuse me. I really like his Shazam reboot. Lots of stuff. But one thing Jeff Johns has done consistently since he since his JSA series started, Johns seems to have a death mat on for 90s characters. <laughs> um, like I said, the first thing he does... In um, in his JSA series, he kills off this version of Fate. Now, I don't like this version of Fate, but he kills off Kid Eternity, who's another 90s character, I think a Vertigo character. Um, he kills Ted Cord in Countdown to Infinite Crisis. He kills a couple of the 90s Titans. He mutilates another 90s Titan twice. Um, it just feels to me like Jeff Johns hates 90s continuity or late 80s or, or late 80s, early to mid 90s continuity. And I say this, and again, I'm, I'm going far off tangent here, so you're just going to have to bear with me. I, I wrote into to Dr. DC, which is another podcast I really like, was talking about the Infinite Crisis recently. And I said, do you think since uh, DC was trying to get rid of its 90s continuity or soft reboot it under Jeff Johns' direction and or possibly under editorial guidance, it was hypocritical to make Superboy Prime be an analog to Entitled Fanboys. Because yes, those were things Entitled Fanboys were clamoring for, but it was also things that Jeff Johns and DC Editorial wanted to do. Um, <laughs> so, again, I like his writing. I think Jeff Johns is is a pretty cool guy, I guess. Um, but sometimes he makes creative choices that kind of makes the 90s kid in me cringe a little bit. Even though I don't love everything 90s. Um, it, it's, I still am kind of protective of it. 
And that's where the tangent ends and we come back to our main story. So anyway, so the Justice League of this world is really is very reminiscent of the Shadow Pact because we have a version of Ragman and we have the Enchantress and they're fighting. And Ragman wraps Clark up in his rags, in his bandages. And uh, Etrigan, who again is that world's version of Superman, is talking in rhyme, which I'm not going to read. And he basically says that I would have expected you to run away rather than stay here and die by hellfire. And Etrigan breathes hellfire on him. But then Superman still wraps up in the bandages, reaches out, grabs Etrigan by the face, and slams him into the ground five times. We see it once, but we hear a boom, 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 which is pretty neat. And Clark says, we're here to help you save your world. We prefer you to make your decision consciously, but unconsciously works just as well, which is pretty badass. <laughs> I gotta admit, that is pretty cool. Now, the next page is, as far as I can tell, the only one that's drawn by Jorge Jimenez, and it's great. It's a really cool montage. We see them on Earth 10, which is the modern version of pre-crisis Earth X. So, letter X became Roman numeral 10, so now it's Earth 10, and that is the Earth where the Freedom Fighters fight the Nazi Justice League, and we see um, just the atomic Batman fighting Nazi Batman and the Phantom Lady is kind of jumping in because she doesn't know who decide who decide against and uh, the human bomb is fighting Green Lantern and uh, Nazi Valkyrie Wonder Woman is fighting Mary Marvel and Clark is trying to separate Calvin Ellis from Overman the Nazi Superman which yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know, sep- you know, separating the Nazi from his African-American counterpart. And Clark looks like, ah! And we go from there to Earth-12, which is the Batman Beyond universe, where they recruit uh, Batman Beyond Superman, who's a really cool character, who has a really great issue zero one-shot that's written by Tom DeFalco and drawn by... Um, by Ron Friends and inked by Sal Buscema and it's great and I, I've tried reading the rest of his series and I just don't like it because it has a completely different creative team that in my opinion is not as interesting and they go there from Earth 18 which is the Earth of the Justice Riders which is like the Wild West Justice League and he's recruiting his counterpart and I had to double check that this was this guy's name Super Chief and Man, that makes me cringe. Um, because that I associate that name with a really racist uh, caricature of a Native American from like really old Bugs Bunny cartoons that used to play in syndication on on TNT in the early '90s. Um, but Super Chief's a cool-looking character. He's this big, muscly guy, and he's bare-chested, and he wears this this helmet that looks like a buffalo's head and it's pretty rad but that name bothers me and he goes there to earth 16 and i was like wait a minute what's earth 16 because like well we have a superman who doesn't have a cape and we have a batman who wears like a 
what looks like a great coat and we have looks like Kyle Green Lantern and a Flash and some other people I don't recognize. And we also have Bloodwind. I'm like, yay, it's Bloodwind. What universe is this? This is apparently the Young Justice cartoon universe and it's tie-in comics. I don't remember Bloodwind being in it, but still that's pretty neat. Um again that's the only that's the only page by Jorge Jimenez. And so they go, they take all these supermen back to the Ultima Thule, and Super Chief asks, what makes this thing so special? And Calvin says the Ultima Thule is an extra-dimensional boat made of frozen music created by the monitors to explore and travel the multiverse. Yep, that's, that's Morrison, all right. And he goes on to say it's capa- its capabilities allow it to vibrate at different frequencies in order to access each of the 52 known worlds occupying the same space, which are separated only by their own different pitches. And he is shown steering the Ultima Thule by means of these lines of energy, which are like harp strings. And so basically you play the Ultima Thule like an instrument and... Um, and so the demon in his rhyming scheme, which again I'm not going to repeat, says, "So you know, all right, that enough with the enough with the backstory. I'm bored. What's the plan?" And Clark says, "I have one. We lose." And later, we see all the supermen that they were able to gather, who is uh, Superman Beyond, Super Chief, Overman, Red Sun. And then this version of Superman, apparently from the Young Justice universe, even though he doesn't look like it. And I have I have to go off on another tangent. I'm sorry. Um, they don't really do anything with him in here. He just kind of stand after apparently trying to fight Calvin Ellis and being separated by Clark. Overman doesn't do anything, which is fine, which is good. Um. I don't really like that he gets recruited. Now, we don't know what Prophecy's plan is at this point. Um, but we, you know, actually, we the readers do. We know that Prophecy wants to steal the Superman's Superman's energy. We don't know why. We the readers don't know why. And the characters definitely don't know what Prophecy's deal is. If they knew that Prophecy was trying to steal the other Superman's powers... I could see, yes, let's take this Nazi so that the bigger threat can't use his power against us or the universe or whatever. But I'm not really on board with bringing a Nazi onto the team, guys. Um, and I get that Clark is here to save everybody and, you know, everyone's worthy of redemption. And I know that in Final Crisis Superman Beyond, they talk about that Overman is not really on board with the Nazi regime that has taken over the world, but he still works for them. And so I don't really get, he doesn't get much sympathy from me. So I, I know it's like, this is, this is, this arc is kind of a love letter to Morrison stuff, but I still feel like that's maybe a character, a beat that Morrison should have skipped when they wrote Superman Beyond. Um, sometimes I feel like Morrison is trying to be so high concept that he go or they go, there's ultimate good and there's ultimate evil and everything in the middle is a gray area. And I, I don't agree with that. I don't, don't bring a Nazi onto your team. But anyway, I, I 
I re-dive, re-verge back onto the topic at hand. And so, um, they know that prophecy wants the supermen. So Clark says, well, let's give him all the supermen at once. And so, they don't really explain in this issue exactly how he's going to do that, but they hint at it. So they they have the Ultima Thule re-enter regular space. It comes out of the bleed and goes back into regular space. And Clark's like, look, I'm going to get captured and I'll hold the door open for you. And he says, um, I'm putting the key in the door, but you and the others need to kick it in and do, the, do your job. So we don't know exactly how he's going to do that yet. But uh, Calvin says, look, you're going to need backup. And Clark's like, nope. I'd rather one of us get captured than all of us if my plan doesn't work. And he uses the teleportation device on the Ultima Thule to send all the other supermen back to the orrery or the, the Hall of Heroes or the Monitor Satellite or whatever it's called. And so he, uh, Superman pilots the Ultima Thule. We see him using the harp strings and we see music coming out of the back of the Ultima Thule. And he says, Lois, John, I love you with all my heart. And then we see Prophecy for the first time. And Prophecy kind of looks like Skeletor, only not like mainstream Skeletor. Kind of like the Skeletor from like 1990 when they tried to reboot it and make it in outer space with more uh, Skeletor was a cyborg. And um, prophecy doesn't isn't a cyborg, but he just has a very almost skull-like face on a very cosmic overlord type body, and his his face is on fire, and there's energy crackling out of his eyes, and he's holding a big sword, and he's wearing purple, and he's got a big red cape. And I think that's what makes me think of like space cyborg Skeletor is the red cape and the purple outfit. Um. And um, he's saying he's standing on this platform that's kind of uncloaking or it's extending into our reality from wherever he is. And he's saying that the energy signatures he zeroed in on are no longer tangible except for one. And he looks at the Ultima Thule and says, what have you done with the supermen who were here? Who are you? And the last page is a full splash of Clark playing the harp energy things and saying I am Superman and that's pretty cool um, and the the strings are giving up these like energy crackles that almost look like the red lantern symbol which I'm sure was just a coincidence it doesn't mean anything it's just what it reminds me of so this issue was pretty good um, I said last time when I talked about um, action comics that I'd been a little harsh on that series because, in my opinion, the story arcs were too long and they weren't as fun as the story arcs in this book, the eponymous Superman book. And I stand by that, but I th- what this series has going for it, again, is the shorter arcs. They don't need to be six issues long necessarily. I'm really good with the two and three issue arcs that this series has been doing. 
and these stories are more fun in general especially with the art team that we have working on them um but these issue these story arcs they don't have I feel like the action comics the stories have more gravitas like um Jurgens is definitely has a plan A to plan Z thing going on you know one story arc has ramifications for the next which has ramifications for the next which has ramifications for the next for wherever it is that Jurgens eventually wanted action comics to go to that he didn't get to take it after action comics 1000 which is unfortunate um these stories are all fun but they're all very self-contained for the most part um like i said we have the we have the eradicator story which um which just kind of established that some elements of superman's pre-flashpoint history are back but just in a different way um, we had that really fun one shot, not one shot, but single issue story at the county fair, which I love. Uh, we had the dinosaur island story, which was a lot of fun, and so forth and so on. This is fun, but it doesn't, other than just being a cool story, doesn't seem to have an overall purpose. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I feel like this book, for the most part, focuses on the relationship between Clark and John and also between John and Damien and action, and it lets Action Comics handle the big overarching story while allowing these stories to be a little more self-contained. But again, not bad. I would have liked a more cohesive art team on this one. And again, it, feel, it really feels like it was kind of rushed to get it out. But when you're trying to put out two issues of a series every month sometimes you have to cut some corners i guess but uh that is it as far as i'm concerned for superman number 15 so i am going to pause and run the usual ad that i do and i'll be right back to talk about some supergirl and we're back and again for the second half of the episode we're going to be talking about supergirl issues number five and six um both issues have the same creative team and let's see if we can get the app to cooperate here uh both issues are written by steve orlando with art by brian ching michael atea is the colorist steve wands is the letterer uh ching and atea did the main cover and the variant covers by bengal and issue five which again came out or at least was cover dated January 11th of 2017. Um, the main cover is uh, of Supergirl smashing through like a glass or a mirror or something. And in all the shards of the, of the glass, we see the different uh, cyborgs that her father Zor-El has turned the people of Argo City into, as well as himself as the cyborg Superman. And behind her are Cat Grant and Ben Rubel. And the variant cover, which I think is just awesome, it's of Cat Grant in her office, standing behind her desk, holding a phone to her ear, saying, you tell Supergirl that Cat Grant needs a word. And outside the window of her office, we see Supergirl floating there with her skirt and cape, uh, slightly blowing in the wind, looking at Cat like, mm-hmm. So pretty cool. I really like that variant cover. 
Now, a real quick flashback. Um, Supergirl has recently learned that the the New 52 era cyborg Superman is her father Zor-El. Now, that is actually revealed to the readers in the New 52, but it's not revealed to Kara. Um, and he had he took her to Argo City, which is not destroyed, and shows her that it, his efforts to save Argo City involved turning all of its people who are basically dead into cyborgs and fitting them with the ability to drain the life force from other people, which he refers to as the Odic Force. Now, I've said before, I think it's pretty neat that he calls it the Odic Force because that theory was um, developed by a German metaphysicist person who likes metaphysics in the early 20th century and so there's some kind of vaguely Nazi connotations going along with that so some fascism and with the way that Zor-El is doing his whole thing is very fascist but on the other hand why would Zor-El use a term that was created by a early 20th century earth person I don't know Maybe he read about it on Argo City Wikipedia and thought it sounded pretty neat. But um, he captured Supergirl, kept her locked up, sent his cyborg Kryptonian army to Earth, starting with Supergirl's uh, hometown uh, city she protects, National City, to drain all the people there of their life force so that he can bring the people of Argo City back to life. Now, it's discovered when Supergirl encounters her mother as a cyborg that these people are really dead, but they have like software in them that can emulate their original personalities. And basically the Kryptonian technology is powered by other beings' life force. So it's a, just a mockery of, of these people's previous lives. Supergirl figures out the harmonics necessary to escape the the prison that's keeping her in and she and her adopted mother uh, Eliza Danvers head back to Earth and the last issue ended with her adopted father uh, Jeremiah being threatened by cyborg Superman Zor-El and that's where this opens and so we see where Zor-El is hovering above um, Jeremiah and threatening to kill him. We see several of the cyborgs throughout National City running amok. One of them picks up a car and throws it at Cameron Chase, uh, field director of the uh, National City office of the DEO. There's a, a car at her and a bunch of her agents. Supergirl and grabs the car in mid-flight. There's a cool splash panel of her holding the car aloft throws it at the cyborg and as he grabs it she smushes the car around him which is pretty fun um and then we get you know a lot of the you know filling in the blanks of explaining how the cyborgs are able to drain other people's life force but um supergirl hears a call coming from catco where cat grant and the other staff members including ben rubel who is her kind of friend, kind of rival for the Young Innovators program the cat is doing there, are being threatened. One of the cyborgs picks up Ben, tosses him out a window, and as he falls, starting to say, starting to shout some um, some profanities, 
Super Supergirl grabs Ben in another really cool splash page, which is a shot of the two of them high above the city. It's got a great perspective work. It looks really nice. They land, and um, uh, Supergirl says that she's coming up with a plan, but she has to go save the rest of Catco first. So she flies back up there. There's only one cyborg running muck. She punches it off into the air through the roof of the building, and she grabs its flight rig. She's like, well, you're not going to be going anywhere without this. And Cat's like, well, at least I don't have all your powers. That's a good thing. And hang on, grab some coffee real quick. Ah, sorry, I'm getting a little parched. And so Supergirl has this idea. She needs to use the Catco servers to patch into the Catco apps that the people of National City have on their phones. And she says, you'll need to put in some Kryptonian code in your server, only a few quintillion lines. And Kat says, just a few quintillion, I'll die of old age, just transcribing. And then we see a whoosh around the office, and all the screens in Kat's office are lit up with ones and zeros. And she goes, there, it's done, you blinked. Here's the plan. But before we find out what the plan is, we see where Zor-El is attacking Jeremiah. He's turned his his right arm into a cannon. He's getting ready to blast Jeremiah with some energy, but Supergirl rushes in and blocks the blast with her chest first. And um, Zoral's like, you know, what are you doing here? You were trapped on Argo City. And he's like, I escaped, and Mother sacrificed herself to help Eliza. And uh, Zorel goes into some real um, gaslighting kind of straw man arguments. He goes, so your mother has died for an earth woman. That pleases you? And the, he's a real... Zorel's a real piece of work. Um, and uh, he says, look, you know, I'm doing this for you. Argo Kitty, Argo City, Argo Kitty. That would be, that would be actually be pretty fun. Let's do a, let's do a spinoff series called Argo Kitty. It would be super cute. Anyway, um, he says, I'm doing this for you. I can save Argo City, but this is the price. And she says the price is too high. And he tells her only a child would save that. And there's a really cool shot of her hovering just above the ground with all this dust and debris swirling around behind her. And Supergirl says, enough, father. You've never had to come here. You could have taken Argo and searched the universe for another way to give our people life, but you didn't want to. This isn't about Argo or helping me. It's about anger and shame. You just want to hurt these people for doing what you couldn't, protecting me, and I won't allow that. And he says that uh, he says that she barely stood against him before, and we see kind of his cybernetic tentacles creeping up behind her, but she blasts them. She says she's, she's learned from his, her mistakes fighting him. And she don't, she won't do what she's told, which is pretty great. So meanwhile, Eliza is in a spaceship and she's rocketing back to Earth. But right behind her is all of Argo City on these thrusters, and the whole city is about to crash or arrive on the Earth. Um, and um, Supergirl punches Zorel back in National City, and he goes flying into a building, and a whole bunch of glass shatters. And she makes this vortex to catch all the glass and sling it back at him. And uh, and he says, you know, look, you can fight me all you want, but the fight's already over. Look up. And that's when she looks up and she sees Argo City hovering right above National City, which is where issue five ends. So give me just a second and we'll jump straight into issue six.
just as soon as the DC app gets over having an aneurysm. Okay, the app has recovered. Um, issue 6 has, again, the same creative team as Issue 5. It's cover dated February 8th of 2017. Um, and the main cover is of Supergirl standing over Zor-El's unconscious um, malfunctioning form as a cyborg Superman where sparks are crackling out of his chest and her, uh, in his eye. She's holding her right bicep and her right arm or right hand is curled into a fist so it's kind of giving the impression that she really put all she had into that punch which is pretty neat and then behind them are Ben Rubel, Cat Grant, Eliza and Jeremiah and Cameron Chase and the variant cover which again I like even more is of Supergirl doing the classic shattering the chains that are binding you Superman family pose that's kind of an homage to that kryptonite no more arc from 1970 71 i forget um yeah looks pretty great i really like the variants on this and so we get uh we start out in new york at the headquarters of the deo the lipstick building for some reason and we don't ever see mr bones but he's referred to as chief bones and director bones um, it's the Mr. Bones from Infinity Incorporated who now just wears a business suit and runs the DEO, which is pretty neat. But we don't ever see him, but we see his, his dialogue bubbles and saying that they're going to scramble all fighters now and send them to National City. And so we get this shot of all these fighter jets uh, bearing down on all these Kryptonian cyborgs, zombies that are coming at them. And it's a very Independence Day type scene where we have the mothership slash Argo City hovering over a large Earth city uh, with fighter planes fighting aliens, basically. It's pretty neat. And Supergirl and Zor-El are squaring off, and um, she's saying, you turned our people into machines to, uh, that kill to power their own hearts. You turned our city into a warship. You failed Krypton, failed Argo. Now you want to punish Earth for it. And he is saying, no, I'm doing all this for you. It's a rescue mission. You rejected it. And um, and he's saying that my city is a microcosm of all that was perfect about our world. Our world, not theirs. And um, he's saying that Krypton and Argo City have weathered many disasters over the centuries. And it will weather its own death, basically, by conquering Earth. And Supergirl's like, nope, I am not hearing it. And she punches him straight through the rock that the bottom of Argus City is made through. And it punches right through one of the thrusters that's holding it up. And it starts to fall. Um, and so Supergirl, she goes up and she is saving the fighter planes that Zor-El is throwing around. She catches one. Uh, she holds it in place. Uh, we go back down to the streets of National City where Cameron Chase has like a laser gun and she's fighting off a bunch of cyborgs. And she's on the communicator with Dr. Veritas, who I'm pretty sure the two of them are in a relationship the way they keep talking because Veritas keeps referring to Chase as Cameron. And uh, um, it says that she's worried about her. Um, 
Chase is never quite as reciprocal about that. Um, she's very businesslike, but I, I, if they're not dating, my headcanon is that they are. Um, the most interesting thing about this issue, honestly, in Dr. Baritas's lab, we see a uniform that is cut to fit a female form, which strongly resembles Superman's energy powers costume from the late 90s. That's pretty neat. Um, if that becomes a plot point in this series, I will definitely cover it. But up above the city, Supergirl and Zor-El are still fighting. Um, he turns his hand into an energy cannon and she wraps her hand around it. So as it goes off, it kind of explodes. Um, and Zor-El is talking about a story from the Kryptoniad, which sounds like something out of Tolkien, about how the goddess Kythana gave the leader of the mythical uh, Zal city an impossible choice, kill his son and spare his city or save him and let the city burn. And the leader of the city chose to sacrifice his son to save his city, which Zorel compares to what he's doing. He was willing to sacrifice his wife if needed to save the city and in fact sacrifice all the people to save the city. And um, and uh, he says, you forced his choice on me. Did you really think this is why I sent you to Earth? Do you really think you're here to help these people? And as she's kneeling down, we see all these tiny little windows and little word bubbles of people helping each other through the city. Paramedics and just people in offices and people on the street dragging each other to safety and saying, you know, come this way. I'll help you. This It's safe here. And, you know, People saying, you know, what about Supergirl? She, she's up there fighting alone. And someone says, Supergirl's not alone. And for the most part, I really like Brian Ching's artwork. This close-up of Kara's face on this one bottom panel looks kind of off, though. Um, I, I, I think this one was kind of rushed. But, um, oh, come on, app. This won't, it won't load this one page. <laughs> Hang on a second. Okay, sorry. The app is giving me fits today, or at least with this issue. Um, so after he says, uh, do you really think I sent you here to help these people, to inspire them? There's this great shot of her standing up amid this rubble and smoke and dust and said, no, we are here to inspire each other. And it's a really fun scene in this issue where Kat is on the phone with... Um, with someone named Summer at the Daily Planet. And Kat is like, look, I've got this thing that I can use to shut down the bad guys, and it's a signal that's going to go out to all the Catco apps, but I need the Daily Planet to boost the signal. And the person at Daily Planet doesn't want to cooperate because Kat said something mean about her, you know, on the air or in on their publication or something. And, you know, she's saying... Uh, life-sucking space corpses are attacking the city and you're trying to leverage me now. And she says, if you don't broadcast, you will never be rid of me. You and your substance devoid radio station will be my personal project now until my non-existent retirement. You think you've got a problem with me now? Send the signal. And so the, we see the signal going out. Uh, it's, it's not coming you know, from the planet. You know, we see the main signal going out from the CatCo building. But it's implied that the signal signal is going out through the daily planet as well to go to apps 
to people outside of National City. And the signal that they're sending disrupts the cyborgs. And as Zorel is attacking Kara one more time, the signal hits him, and all of his systems begin to overload. And she says that um, um, she's saying that she took the harmonic signal that she sang to escape her trap on Argo City. She converted that into an electronic signal on the same frequency to override the Kryptonian technology. And she says that you also underestimated me when I hit, when I knocked you through the asteroid and the thruster that Argo City is on. I did so um, so that it would hit just the right thruster to send it into a trajectory to send it into the water off the coast. Now, the spoil sport in me says that an asteroid that size hitting a body of water that close to a city would send a tsunami into the city. But we're gonna, I'm just going to not be a crusty old curmudgeon and said, yes, that makes absolute sense. But, you know, it's better than having it fall in the city, at least, right? Right. And um, Supergirl says that, um, that she only knew how to escape from the prison and, and, and it's implied that she figured out which which booster to hit, uh, thruster to hit because of her imprisonment. And she says, we could have worked together to save Argo. I would have helped you. And as she shuts, she, as she, as he shuts down, excuse me, uh, she hugs him and says, but you never wanted that. I'm sorry. Uh, the next day at Cat Grant's office, uh, Cara Danvers, not Supergirl, walks into Cat's office and Cat's uh, like, well, you you bailed when you were supposed to be here for an appointment. Why should I hire you? Ben Rubel covered for you and said you had a family emergency, but why should I hire you? And she said, I, re I read Reflections by Dana, Diana of Themyscira. She covers many things, the environment, personal freedom, the right to love. There's an essay on action, like you said at my school. She had to leave Paradise Island to achieve, take a risk. This job will not be easy. It's outside my comfort zone, but I need to take a risk. I need to get off the island. And so Cat Grant says, congratulations, welcome to the Young Innovators, let's get you off that island. Uh, Kara goes outside of Cat's office into the, the, you know, general workspace of the area. She sees Ben, you know, sitting there, and she says, well, why did you cover it for me? She's like, look, I respect you, you're easily as smart as me, we deserve to be colleagues, um, I hope we can work together, but if we can't get along, just remember, you owe me one. Um, we also see, and from what I know of what is coming from Action Comics, this never plays out in any way that I'm aware of, but we see a group of people in deep sea diving armor with NASA on the arm diving down to the wreck of Argo City with someone over radio transmission saying you're clear to approach Dr. Henshaw which would of course be Hank Henshaw the original cyborg superman um so like I said I don't know if Dan Jurgens and Steve Orlando maybe weren't on the same page about what the one and the other was going to do maybe it was just a teaser that Orlando said well I can use this if I have to and maybe I just haven't read far enough along so I guess we'll find out but later we see Supergirl at the National City Penitentiary, Penitentiary 
and she's talking to a guy that she arrested in the first issue. She's trying to help him reform. She's helping the Danverses make dinner. She's making them their version of a... She's making the Earth version of a crypt, traditional Kryptonian uh, dish. And while they're eating, they get a DEO alert. And she opens her button-down shirt, exposing the red S, saying, It means I have work to do. And I've, I've said it before, I really like the stylized S on Kara's costume. And weeks later at the um, DEO site called The Blade, where, where you see where Zor-El is being kept in a back-to-tank. And the way Zor-El's body is cyberneticized, it's the entire right half of his torso is cybernetic. And it looks like they've made like a hard light construct to kind of keep all his body parts in check. It looks like they've removed the cybernetics and replaced it with a hard light contract, which is really neat inside, you know, to keep him alive inside this tank. That's really cool. And in fact, it's the whole, it's the entire right side of his body plus parts of the left side of his face. Yeah. And um, Supergirl is outside the tank. Her, her father's unconscious. Um, but she said, this isn't over, Father. No matter what you've done, I'll help you. I'm not giving up on you. So, this was, these were good. These were two good issues. Why did I decide, decide to cover both of them? Um, basically, beginning with issue 48, two, uh, episode four, 48, two episodes from now, I'm going to start streamlining the, the content that I do here on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to streamline the reading rotation. I want to get it down to just four bucks. I'm going to do Eponymous Superman, Tomasi Gleason. I'm going to do Action Comics, Dan Jurgens. I'm going to do New Superman, um, which I absolutely love. And I'm going to do Trinity. I've said before, I don't really care for the Justice League series that's going on in this era at the moment. As far as Supergirl and Superwoman go, I find them both interesting, but I also find myself... The, the need to cover them on the podcast has begun to feel like a drudge. Like, I really have to motivate myself to talk about them on the podcast. I'm going to continue reading them as I'm going along. I'm, gonna, I'm actually working on reading ahead. If there's a really good issue, or if there's just an issue where Clark appears in it, since he is, in fact, the main focus of the podcast, I will cover that issue as an entire segment. And I will summarize everything building up to it. If an entire arc goes by and there's nothing particularly outstanding, when I get to the end of an arc, I will do a segment doing a summary of the whole arc. I'm not dropping, excuse me, I'm not dropping both titles completely because I think they are noteworthy. I am just not particularly entertained by them. Excuse me. And if I'm doing something for the podcast that I'm having to make myself do, I will probably, it'll, it'll make me end up dropping the podcast as a whole. And I don't want to do that. And I feel kind of bad because of the, these are the only two books I have female main leads. Um, but I, again, Clark is the main focus of the show. So he's got two books all to himself. He's got one book that he shares with just two other people. And I, you know, like I've said, I just love New Superman, 
uh, the Superman of China. Um, and I'm, I, I love the writer on that book so much that, you know, I, I love everything he does. So I'm, I'm definitely not dropping that one no matter what. Um, so like I said, if you love these two, if you're just a huge fan of this era of Supergirl and of the Superwoman book, you know, I apologize that you're going to hear less of them, but you will still hear from them from time to time. And it'll also help me go through the titles faster as we go forward. I do eventually want to get caught up to whatever the most recent thing is on the standard DC app subscription is. Um, and this, if I can narrow it down to four titles a month, which still comes out to six, um, yeah, six issues a month, then I can go through a month of publication in three episodes instead of four or five. So, um, like I said, if, if you're disappointed, I'm sorry, but I think it'll be the best for the podcast as a whole. Um, so that is it for Supergirl for now. Um, like I said, this arc was okay. I thought I was going to end up liking this more than I did. Um, I think once I went back into New 52 and read the first appearance of this version of Cyborg Superman, I thought it was going to be awesome because I think he's a cool visual. I find he's an incredibly boring villain. Um, and, you know, like I said, Supergirl's an interesting title. Superwoman's an interesting title. I'm just not particularly entertained by them. So um, that is it for our comics for this episode. I'm going to take one more break and I'll come right back and wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 46 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. If you're enjoying the show and if you'd like to help support it, uh, again, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash truthjusticeandhope. I put out four episodes a month there, each episode covering an issue of my favorite classic post-crisis Superman stories. And like I said towards the beginning of the show, I am just about to start the death of Superman arc and if you want to get on board with that uh, be sure to sign up <laughs> uh, if other ways if you'd like to support the show in other ways uh, you can leave me a five star review wherever you get your podcasts you can also follow me on social media um, <laughs> until uh, Google decides that they're not going to support the Twitter app anymore or until Twitter collapses in on itself completely or Elon Musk decides to start charging everyone on their money to use it you can find me on Twitter at about Superman um, I have an Instagram account at truth justice and hope and you can also check out the truth justice and hope Facebook page and basically I just which is all pretty much just a copy and paste of my Twitter stuff because I don't have the mental energy to do three different sets of content. Um, I'm probably also going to do a Hive account uh, sometime in the near future. I may do a Tumblr. I don't know. I am enjoying diversifying my social media presence. Uh, I don't spend a whole lot of time on any social media other than Twitter and even that has declined intensely in the last couple of weeks or so. But in the meantime, you can find me all those places. 
Um, next week, I will be talking about Action Comics number 972 from January 25th of 2017. That will conclude the Men of Steel arc where Lex has been put on trial for crimes he may commit in the future by the God Slayers and a story arc that I'm enjoying much more the second time around than I did the first time I read it. And I am also going to cover Superwoman number 6 from January 11th of 2017. That will conclude the uh, story arc with Lena Luthor as Ultra Woman. And that will also be the last issue of that series that I will cover on a regular rotation before I go into summaries and just issues that I find particularly good or in which Superman guest stars. Um, but until then, uh, make sure to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.